This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. This morning we finish up in Romans chapter 11, and uh, we've come a long way in terms of understanding um, the nature of the church and the the theological perspective of Paul as he is uh, just teaching us about what it means that salvation is by faith. We've uh, come a long way and on this journey. And uh, after this passage, Paul begins to to get a little bit more practical with uh, with his lessons. But as I mentioned last week, sometimes the things that Paul says are they're mysterious, they're difficult to understand. And and as I was uh, reflecting on these verses and studying, uh, uh, someone pointed out to me a verse in a different part of the New Testament that I had never. I'm sure I've read it, I just didn't even remember it. But this is, this is from 2 Peter. So Peter is writing this and he says, Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And then he says this, There are some things in them, the letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as as they do other scriptures. So if we can take any solace, we know that, that Peter, who uh, God used to write some of the scriptures, had a difficult time understanding Paul. And so let us hope that we are not ignorant and unstable as we seek to understand and apply these things in our lives. But if, if, if Peter struggled, and then it's okay for us to struggle. But I think there's something valuable in this idea that we're not always going to know completely what it is that God is saying. That doesn't mean that we can't know what God is saying, but we're not always going to know completely because what God says to us sometimes is a mystery because God is infinite. He's overwhelming and he's glorious and wonderful and we can't fathom him for who he is. But that doesn't mean that he's not clear. It doesn't mean that he doesn't communicate. It doesn't mean that through his word, we can't understand and know more about who he is. So my hope for us as we study this, uh, the last part of Romans 11, that God would uh, give us insight into the mystery of salvation. So if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Get your blood flowing one more time before you've got to sit down for a few minutes. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 25 and following. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to become unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord 
or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for teaching us. We pray that as we seek to understand the mystery of salvation, that you would become more real to us. And that we would know that even while you're infinite and in some ways mysterious and incapable of being understood, that you love us to, to show us more of who you are through your son Jesus and the real tangible ways that we can seek to apply the truth of your word. We pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding so that we might live more faithfully for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in 1969, Ken Spears and Joe Ruby debuted a new cartoon about a group of teens who traveled around in the mystery machine solving mysteries. Shaggy and his friends and Shaggy's dog, Scooby-Doo, uh, became instantly famous at figuring out who done it. What was thought to be some uh, mysterious creature or a ghost of some sort inevitably turned out to be some local chump who was just trying to get rich off of his neighbors. They always ended the show uh, unmasking the perpetrator who always said something like this, and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for these meddling kids. I love that show. Scooby-Doo has been played on probably every screen that ever has been. Lots of different uh, iterations of Scooby and these mysterious uh, sleuthing kids. Well, in this last section of Romans, Paul is revealing what will happen in this mystery with his countrymen, the Jews. He says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Uh, that likely means that some of them have come to faith and others of them have not come to faith. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery because I don't want you to become conceited or, or proud. Maybe it's possible that the, the church in Rome was, uh, even though largely made up of Gentiles, maybe their posture toward their Jewish brothers and sisters made them proud. Uh, it's hard to say, but we know that Paul is saying there's this mystery. What does it mean when he says there's a mystery? When we hear a mystery, we usually think of something that has been unsolved, like what's going on in, uh, in Scooby-Doo that's causing the tension in the, in the neighborhood. Uh, there's a secret that must be uncovered or a, a truth that remains undisclosed. That's a, that's a mystery. And Paul uses this word. It's actually the Greek word mysterion. And he, but he means something more than just an unsolved uh, reality. He means the wise counsel of God in his guidance in history to its destiny. So more than just something that we don't know, it's God's purpose to accomplish his will. It's not that it's a secret that God is unwilling to tell. It's not that it's so something that's so obscure that it can't be understood. It's his special plan that he has revealed to his people. So for Paul, a mystery is an open secret. It's something that was once concealed, but now has been revealed. 
It's something that we could not have understood in ourselves unless God revealed it to us through his word. But once it's been revealed to us through his word, it's to be declared openly to all who exist. It's not just something that super Christians who study the Bible all the time and have degrees from seminary or church planting wizards are to understand. It's something that every believer in Jesus can know and appreciate and value and actually apply in their lives. It's something that we all should be engaging with, with our own proclamation. Remember last week I talked about uh, postures and practices. One of the practices that we ought to have is to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Yes, there's a type of preaching that happens in a pulpit on a Sunday morning, but another kind of preaching happens in our very lives as we talk about what we value and who we value and who we live and how we live. We are to be making known the mystery of salvation that is revealed to the person of Jesus Christ in the way we live, work, and play. That's how we speak, and that's who we speak about in our faith. This mystery is that while the hearts of some of Israel, it says, Paul writes, have been hardened, all Israel will be saved. Paul says all Israel will be saved. So that makes it a my first point is a generous mystery. All Israel will be saved. Now, what does it mean, first of all, to be saved? What are we talking about when we talk about this idea of of salvation? What what is that? Well, salvation is many things, but it's it's a complete restoration between God and humanity, and more than just humanity, the whole world. Salvation implies that one needs to be saved from something, saved from sin, saved from separation from God. We need to be delivered. You'll notice in the passage, it talks about the deliverer that will come from Zion, pointing to Jesus. We need to be delivered from something. We have been broken in our relationship with God, and God wants to redeem us, to buy us back, to purchase us, to save us from death, destruction, and our own sin. It's this reconciliation that's initiated by God that he establishes, that he accomplishes through his son Jesus. And those who trust in him receive and experience this salvation. And so this is the point that Paul's been making throughout the whole letter that applies both to Jews and to Gentiles. There isn't one plan for one group and another plan for another group. And this is the challenge for us who live in a 21st century America. It's the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Is that God has said, here's the way that I want to be in relationship with my people. It's through my son, Jesus. And many people would say, well, well, that's good for you. But the way I connect with God is through a different path. And some would say, oh, okay, well, I have Jesus and you have your way of connecting with God. And those are equally valid. But why would God allow his own son to die for some and not require others to trust in Jesus in the same way? Why would there be different ways to get to God if Jesus is the way to get to God? You see, Jesus is the one who allows us to be connected to God because our sins are forgiven. Our sins are paid for. We're delivered from those sins because of what Jesus has done. And so that he is the way of salvation. And the good news is this proclamation, this announcement of what God has done is for all people. 
men and women, boys and girls. It's for Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, Republican, Democrat, independent. It's for slave or free, man or woman, gay or straight, Muslim, Hindu, or humanist. The truth of deliverance through Jesus is for anyone and everyone who would believe. And for that reason, it's a generous mystery that God has freely given himself to us. It's for everyone, and even though everyone will not receive it, it is being offered to all. Now, there are some that believe the phrase, all Israel will be saved, means that one day the nation of Israel itself will be reinstituted and every member of that nation will be a believer in God through Jesus Christ. Others believe that the phrase, all Israel will be saved, refers to a future generation when before the end, God will bring a tremendous influx of the Jewish people into his kingdom, believing in Jesus Christ. And then, it would be like a life from the dead, from the church that will be floundering under persecution, will gain new light from this influx of Jewish believers and Jewish participation in the kingdom of God. Others believe that this verse simply states that God will continue to deal with the people of Israel generation after generation, and that once we have gotten to the end of time, we'll look back and we'll see this cumulative work that God has done to bring people to himself among his, I mean, from among his ancient people. And still others look at this passage and say, well, really, it doesn't give us any hope at all for Israel in the future. Paul is really just saying that all the church will be saved, that the church is Israel, both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and that this isn't speaking necessarily for some future ethnic Israel. So which is it? It's mysterious. He says to us, in this way, all Israel will be saved. The deliverer, quoting Old Testament, Isaiah, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. All Israel will be saved in this way. A deliverer will come. Here he's quoting Isaiah. Remember, this deliverer, this redeemer will come from Zion, which is a mountain inside the city of Jerusalem. This Old Testament passage is telling us that one day a savior will come from Jerusalem. And of course, we know. We know from our vantage point who that Savior is. It's Jesus Christ. This means that any person and only those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, regardless of their racial background, their culture, or their heritage, will have their sins forgiven. Verse 28, he goes on, As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable, that means that they cannot be reversed, they cannot be changed. This means that it's also a guaranteed mystery. God has made a promise, and he will fulfill that promise no matter what. Now, how exactly he will do that? It's a mystery. What exactly will God do at the end of time? With the nation of Israel, it's a mystery. But we know that Jesus is the key to unlock that mystery. And we know that God will do it because he said he will do it. 
Isn't that what God does? He fulfills his promises. He is the one who has fulfilled all of his promises. You can see that from the story of Scripture. If we look at, at God's people, how God has been faithful to them in large ways and as individual people and in small ways, and you can look at the story of your own life, and you can see that God has been with you. Have there been disappointments? <laughs> sure. Has there been discouragement? Of course. But has God been faithful? Absolutely. We can trust him because the mystery is a guaranteed mystery. Even though it may not be going the way that you thought that it would go. Changes in how your life goes doesn't change the God who orders your path. It doesn't change the truth that God is loving you and is caring towards you. He has fulfilled his promises in the past and he will fulfill them in the future. And so how important would this have been for the church in Rome to understand this? As they were not in a position of power, they had no influence, they had nothing. But they had everything because they had Jesus and they had one another and they had the promises of God. So in the middle of political tension, of military power, of a pagan culture, they had everything that they needed to pursue and follow Jesus and to have a wonderful and glorious, fulfilling life. Was it difficult? Absolutely. You know, we'd love to have our, um, our path just set forth, right? Wouldn't it be able to, wouldn't you know, wouldn't you be able, sorry, it's cold. Wouldn't you be, want to be able to know that if this is where you are and this is where you're going, and it's just a straight line. And you could see the plan, and you had the, you had the goal at the end. You knew where you were going to end up, and then just be uh, right, right straight ahead. But, I mean, wouldn't that really be nice in some ways? But it also would be just super boring, too, right? So uh, this summer, on the trip, the big trip that we took to uh, out west on my sabbatical, we, we said, let's go to the west coast because we want to see the west coast. And so we flew into Seattle, and we flew out of L.A., and there's an interstate that connects those two. Wouldn't it have been really fun to land in Seattle, rent a car, and get on the interstate and drive straight to L.A.? Just straight. Don't stop. It's 18 hours. That would have been terrible, right? Because think about all the things that you can see along the West Coast. We use a little bit of that interstate, but most of the time we traveled on the, on the Pacific Coast Highway. Right? When you drive around Big Sur, we were driving through the mountains, and you know it has that little curvy, it's a yellow sign with a squiggly thing that says curves coming ahead, and it says curves. And usually it's like, you know, next mile, and you're like, oh, okay, up and down. This said next 60 miles. So we're all in a van driving, you know, you know slow down, speed up, you know, all the things that go on in a big family van on a, on a trip. But as we got to the coast especially, it was amazing all the things that you could see. Right? You've got this, this beautiful countryside that, that goes up to the left right, as you're going south, and you've got the Pacific Ocean, and there are cliffs, and there are, there are waves crashing, and just beautiful scenery, and then there's the redwood trees, and all these amazing things. And the road, especially as you get down on the area where Big Sur is, you're just every, every mile, you're like, let's pull over and stop. There's another cutout. We can look down. And, but you don't know where you're going. And sometimes you're going up, and sometimes you're going down. And then you see a sign that says elephant seal vista. And you're like, we're stopping for that. Let's go see the elephant seals. And they're just hanging out on the beach. 
So then we did a whole study on elephant seals and what do they eat and what, you know. But it's like all these ups and downs and curves around. And that's how life is. And you could go on a straight line and have it all planned out. But you wouldn't experience everything that life has. And I know that in your life, you've experienced ups and downs and twists and turns. But every, through, through every single thing, if you just keep going towards your destination, you know that God is with you. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. You may run out of gas. You may be discouraged. You may have to take a stop that you don't want to take. We stopped in Lompoc, Lompoc, California. And the hotel was not very nice. And we drove into town. It says, Federal Prison, one mile. I'm like, okay, well, all right. I hope it's, the keys are working, the locks are on. You know, we're like, you, you always stop the place that you want to, but you know that God's with you. And just in your life, you've had twists and turns. But here's the deal. It's a guaranteed mystery, but it is a mystery. And you don't know the rest of the plans, even for today or for next week or for the rest of your life. But you know what? It doesn't really matter because who's with you? Jesus and your brothers and sisters walking and journeying with you through the ups and downs of life. It's a generous mystery. It's a guaranteed mystery. And finally, it's a glorious mystery. You know, sometimes we can read Paul and we can, you know, we can hear what his buddy Peter said. Sometimes Paul's confusing and he gets into these arguments, theological uh, dialogues that just sometimes don't make sense to us. And we can think of maybe Paul as like a theology nerd who's in his uh, ivory tower writing things that are just difficult to understand. He just doesn't connect with us, right? That's possible for us to, to realize. And then we get to this point at the end of Romans where we see Paul in a different light. Because as he's going through and he's talking about this generous mystery and this guaranteed mystery, what happens in verse 33? Look at what it says. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul, when he gets to this massively dense and deep theological point, what does he do? He responds in worship. He just takes a moment in the middle of the letter. I can imagine him. Maybe he's in a cave somewhere or in a jail cell writing this letter, and he's making this argument about what's going to happen with Israel and how this is going to work, and all of a sudden, he just bursts into praise. He's experiencing the presence of God, and he just has to write down, this is what God has put on my heart to write to you, because think about the glory of this mystery, that the God of the universe has come to be with us. And that he loves us and he's with us on every single turn of the journey. What a beautiful and profound thing. It's, it's doxological. Right? That sounds really intense. What does that mean? Well, dox, doxology. Right? We sing that song, the doxology. Doxa means glory. And glory sometimes is translated weighty or heavy. I mean, it's a heavy thing, but it's dense because it's talking about the most powerful, glorious God who has existed for all time, who reveals himself to people like you and me. And so Paul just bursts out in a song. He's just praising God. And so how do we apply this in our life? How do, I, how do I understand what's going to happen with all Israel? What difference does it make in my life? Well, one of the things that it should do is just cause us to worship. 
And, and yes, I mean worship by coming into a space like this and singing songs. That is worship for sure. But it means to treasure and to value and to glory in the God of the universe. That somehow this deliverer, this, this savior has come down into the world and continues to come down into the world through people like me and you to reveal himself, to care and to love and to serve. And for that reason, then we, we worship. We treasure him. We value him. We value him more than the things of the world. We value him more than our plan of our life. We treasure him and glory in him because he's worth it. And so then that means then when we face a turn or we go downhill or there's a flat tire or there's something that goes wrong with the schedule, we can say, God is with me and it's glorious. I mean, no one knew that better than Paul. You think about the things that he had experienced and the challenges that he faced and being shipwrecked and trying to plant churches and praying and, and just shedding tears for his people that he loved. He knew that better than anyone, and he's wanting to share that with you. Like this uh, truth, this, this reality, this, this glory is available to each and every person who's listening to what I'm saying or is opening up the scriptures. It just means taking time to sit and listen, to remember, to rejoice, to have hope in, and to glory in the goodness of God. And, and what is more practical than knowing the God of the universe? That he loves you, that he's with you, that he's for you, and that he's revealing to you more of his character. Because you see, what's more important than your goals or your purpose or your plan is the presence of God in your life. So that when, when you experience diversions and disruptions and discouragements, that you know that God is with you. And what does that do? Then it makes your proclamation in the world all the more real and significant. As you talk about, hey, this is the real struggle that I'm facing in my life, but I'm so thankful that I know that God is with me. Because even when it feels cold outside, I have the warmth of the gospel to encourage me and to remind me. And I'm able to share that. Right? I can put my arm around someone. So we had uh, no power at our house for about 36 hours, and it was getting chilly in the house. But in our house, we have a fireplace and lots of different rooms in the downstairs with doors. So we closed the doors, and we made a fire in the, in the family room, and there was just wood burning in there. I went up to Germantown Parkway, and I got some wheelbarrows full of wood because it was cold. It was amazing how much warmer it was in the family room than you walk through the kitchen doors. I went to the kitchen. like, this is freezing in here. So we were keeping it together by having that, that fire in the fireplace. But you know, if you, if you build a fire and you get it going, then the, some of those coals, they get really, make it really warm. But if one of those coals moves out from the rest of the fire, it burns up a lot faster, and it doesn't provide as much warmth. It's so it's those coals staying together, being close, keeping each other warm is such an important thing. Well, that's just a spiritual metaphor for us as we, as believers, as we are called to go out into the world, out into the cold, to bring the good news of the gospel, we also need to gather to be encouraged and to remember that we're on this journey together and that guys like Paul have gone before us to encourage and to press into our lives. And then we go out and we, get, we go into the cold and we bring warmth and we bring light and we say, come back in here and gather with me in the presence of God. 
That's how we apply this truth, this, this mystery. So I want to encourage you. Are you rejoicing in and cherishing and worshiping God in your daily life? I want to encourage you as you uh, read Romans 12 every day this week, that you, your spiritual act of worship, which would be to treasure and value God for who he is, for revealing to you through his word this glorious mystery of salvation that he's given to you through the person of Jesus Christ. Make it practical in worship. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.